Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Henry DeVries. I'm the CEO of Indie Books International. Welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. So glad to have you here. We're looking at different ideas and thoughts and angles on how to prepare a book, how to publish a book, and how to promote a book that'll make a difference in the lives of those you touch and also in your business. So the focus is always on how do independent consultants attract high paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. Before we bring on our special guest, we like to do the author roundup. So we'd love to have an introduction to our studio audience, uh, some of our authors who are with us today. And I'd like to start off with uh, David Goldman and then go to Dr. Carey. Thanks, Henry. Hi, I'm David Goldman. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, currently spending winter in Bonita Springs, Florida. And I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. Thanks, David. Thanks for being with us. And let's go to Dr. Carey and then Dr. Steve. Hi, Henry. It's nice to be with you guys today. And Henry, I like your new background that you reorganized. It is noticeably uh, different, and that's pretty neat. Thank you. Dan, looking forward to hearing from you on a thought leadership book. My book, which is coming out in just a couple of weeks, is called Self-Help on the Go, and I am in Denver, Colorado. Thanks, Dr. Carey. Good to see you. And then Dr. Steve. Yeah, hello, everybody. I'm Steve Swavely. I am in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And um, I am in the process of writing my book. And so I have a working title. And the working title is Optimal Team Leadership. And I'm very curious about today's subject. Uh, thought leadership is something I'm very interested in. So I'll, I'll be curious to hear what uh, our speaker has to say. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I want to say Dr. Mark, but Mark, go ahead, please. Yeah, I kind of noticed that uh, string of doctors. Well, I'm a non-doctor, uh, Mark LeBlanc, a chairman of Indie Books International. I work out of Minneapolis, and uh, my current book uh, under development is titled Bringing in the Business Without Sounding Like a Salesperson, and I'm excited to co-author that with uh, Henry and David Goldman. Thanks, Mark. And uh, hello, everyone. I'm, I don't just run the company. I'm an author, too. And my most recent book is Rainmaker Confidential that I wrote with Scott Love and Mark LeBlanc. And you can't ask top rainmakers how they do it and your competitors. So we did it for you. So it's how smart professionals are investing their time and their money and their resources uh, those, those bets we all make, those investment bets we all make. So welcome, everyone. A very special guest today, uh, someone who I've been friends with for 15 years, and um, we've helped each other's business and uh, been in a mastermind together and uh, just really honored to have Dan Janelle as part of the Indie Books team. Um, 
Suzanne, why don't you pin Dan up there so we can uh, see him? Uh, he's a book strategist and he helps professionals and business owners write important books that can help build their careers and leave a legacy. Um, no matter where you are in the book writing process, Dan can help you write your book. At, he could be your ghostwriter, your book coach, or your developmental editor. Uh, that was easy for me to say today, developmental editor. He shapes stories and strategies that can transform a career or a business. Um, Dan and I often share sushi and talk about the business and uh, what's working with telling stories and getting out there. Um, it's uh, as the scripture says, iron sharpens iron. So it's always good to talk to him. He's a true thought leader. Um, he doesn't just play one on TV. Dan wrote one of the first books on internet marketing in 1994. Um, and he's talked about identity theft and other topics. So he knows about thought leadership. He's written more than a dozen books that have been translated into six languages. Uh, his clients include a retired army general, an NFL player, a certified financial planner, a doctor, a nurse, and a lawyer. Uh, please welcome Dan Janelle. So Dan, let's get started here. What's the difference between a business book and a thought leader book? Great question, Henry, and, and thanks. Uh, we didn't talk about the baseball games we've gone to either. So <laughs> it's great having friends who are in the business and uh, that's how the world operates. It's, it's fantastic that way. You know, there are many books today are marketing pieces that are posing as books. Uh, they're revised white papers. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, frankly, but they're not thought leadership books. They're marketing pieces and I've written them and you've written them and we've all written them and, and they're great. They serve a purpose and they help people and they get business. So there's definitely a need for business books. They can be written in as little as a weekend or a week. You know, sometimes the thoughts just come right out of your head. There are a lot of people who are offering, write your book in a weekend kinds of things. And you know, those are okay. You know, those are those are fine books. And, and there are self-help books and memoir books and me too books, but they don't establish you as a thought leader. So what's the difference between a thought leadership book and a business book? Well, a thought leadership book expresses new ideas. They advance the profession and they help humanity or your section of the world of humanity. Uh, I like to quote Wayne Gretzky, the famous hockey player who said, I skate to where the puck will be. And I thought that's what thought leaders really do. Uh, Henry, you were kind enough to mention that I wrote one of the first books about marketing on the internet. That was in 1993. No one thought you could market on the internet in 1993. It was the province of educators and scientists. In fact, if you told people you could market on the internet, you were likely to be met with uh, Frankenstein-like uh, mobs saying, you know, no, you cannot do that. This is a pure system. You cannot market on the internet. Well, I was on the PR team that launched America Online. And sure enough, you can market online. <laughs> and the internet was no different. So I told people a lot of tactics that I learned from being on CompuServe and, and AOL. And sure enough, it came to pass. And that led to speaking engagements literally around the world, uh, from Beijing to Budapest, to all across Canada, the United States, Mexico, Rio de Janeiro. It led to speaking engagements in uh, at Berkeley and, uh, and Stanford. So it really launched my career. So the book can position you as the thought leader that can really launch your career. Uh, I also wrote another book about voice recognition in 1998. That book was only about 10 years ahead of its time. 
So you got to be careful with some of these thought leadership books. <laughs> it did not sell because no one thought about thought about voice recognition back then. Um, but there are a lot of books today that are being written that are thought leadership books. The things that people might not have thought about that are th that people think about in a new light. Look at trust and regret. Dave Horsehager, the National Speakers Association in our chapter here in Minnesota, really launched an entire industry of trust. Even the Cubby people have uh, were actually later to the game in terms of writing books about trusts that trust. Excuse me, not trusts. Trust uh, in leadership. Uh, and he's launched a whole career out of that institutes, academies, train the trainers and such like that. He's really launched an entire industry on trust. And I look at a new book uh, by Daniel Pink on regret, the power of regret. It's a wonderful book. And you wonder like, well, people have written books about regret before or sales books or whatever. So tell us a little bit more. Why is it that these books are different? What makes them different? And I'm sure a lot of the PhDs on this call can answer that question. And the answer is one word, research, original research. A lot of people who write books are quoting other people. I remember one woman who spoke to our NSA chapter uh, wrote a really wonderful book for leadership, but she was quoting Brene Brown and she was quoting Angela Duckworth and she was quoting all these psychologists and whatever. It was a wonderful book, but she was not a thought leader. She was a thought repeater. And I see a lot of books being written like that. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to elevate the profession and be seen as a true thought leader, you need to do what Daniel Pink did. And that's original research. He conducted a worldwide survey on regret. He ran it through his website. He interviewed hundreds of people and included a few of those interviews in his book, just a handful of the hundreds. He interviewed hundreds of people. How many people have been interviewed in books that you pick up at uh, some of these seminars? And the answer could be like one, they interviewed themselves. So to get a wide variety of opinion, a wide variety of statistical information that backs up your theories and your ideas, that's what makes a true thought leadership book. But unlike a PhD dissertation, thought leadership books don't have to be boring because they, in fact, they shouldn't be boring because you want the books to sell. And Daniel Pink's book certainly does sell. It was on the, what, the, the Wall Street Journal bestseller lists for a couple of weeks. And it, it was very readable because he talked about the issue. He talked about his research. He talked about stories, he included his stories. He had conclusions, he had ideas, and he had action items. He said, if you have regret, this is what you can do to uh, ameliorate that regret. Here's how to turn a negative into a positive, you know, and he gave ideas so you could change your lives. So we see that in other people's books as well. We see that in books by guys like um, uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, sold 20 million copies, and it's a business fable. So these books do not have to be dry PhD research oriented books. They can be told like children's stories, the Patrick, uh, I can never pronounce his last name, Lencioni books on the five dysfunctions of teams, sold hundreds of thousands of copies, inspired thousands of, of companies, all based on stories, which of course, Henry is the master at telling stories. So the true thought leadership books really advance the profession. And when you advance the profession and you advance the thought, then you become the thought leader and you get hired at by bigger companies at 
better rates and you have more fun solving better problems. Dan, what are some of the elements of a thought leadership book? Stories are an important part because people learn by stories. So in Daniel Pink's book, he had numerous stories of, uh, that would explain or, or, or go into greater detail about the findings in his book. So one of the biggest regrets uh, they, they said was uh, uh, people who cheated on in their marriages. So he spoke to people who had cheated, cheated in their marriages and how they regretted that. And there goes sob stories, stories about that, how it led to horrible, horrible things and whatever. So the stories really made the book come alive. If we look at other thought leadership books like Malcolm Gladwell, brilliant storyteller, he comes up with his ideas, he finds a story, he wraps stories around it, and people remember those stories. And sometimes he's taking other people's ideas like the 10,000 hours to, to perfection story or theory. He did not create that, but no one, <laughs> and he's the first one to admit it, uh, but people forget the fact that someone else created it because he popularized it. So that's something else that some thought leadership books do. They take other people's ideas, and they popularize them. And in the thought leadership community, there's some questions whether that's a true thought leader or are you a true thought leader if you popularize other people's ideas? Stephen Covey, who sold millions of books with his you know, Seven Habits books, he said, sharpen the saw. Well, so did Abraham Lincoln. You know, I think Abraham Lincoln might have predated Stephen Covey. Uh, Stephen Covey had the famous two by two matrix. Well, General Eisenhower had a two by two matrix as well. And that predates Stephen Covey, but Stephen Covey made them popular. So we could split hairs and say, who's the true thought leader here? But they advanced the world, they made the world a better place. And isn't that what it's all about? So uh, to get back to your original question, like what, what, really what, what really distinguishes a book, a thought leadership book from the others? It is the research. It is the fact that you can point to statistical research and numbers and figures and not just seat of the pants ideas to say, you know, these are the 10 things that will make your business better. Hey, great, that may work. That may be fine. That may be what worked for you. But over the course of the world, Daniel Pink has found 160,000 people who expressed their ideas about what they regret in life, came up with four distinct uh, areas, and you'll have to read the book to find out what those are. So that's what makes the book a thought leadership book. So Dan and I both came out of the world of journalism. And Dan with Gannett, and I was with Associated Press. And I just wanted to say, I want you to channel a professor and a journalist if you want to be a thought leader. And if you'd like a monograph on how to conduct proprietary research, Suzanne, just put that into the chat and my email address, henry at indie, I-N-D-I-E, books, B-O-O-K-S, I-N-T-L.com. Ask for the monograph on proprietary research. As Dan said, you're going to do some primary research. You're going to do secondary research, meaning you're going to grab statistics from other places that you can use as evidence, and then you're going to gather stories. And I really challenge all my authors to think that um, the book is the starting line, not the finish line. So when you get your first book done, what's the topic of your next book going to be? And whenever you speak or talk to people, you're working on that next thought leader book because you're gathering all this. John Steinbeck, the great writer said, really all writing is about having a box 
and you're gathering things and you're putting it in the box and then you open the box and you write about it. So it's the same thing with the thought leadership book that we're talking about here. Um, I love to quote Dan from a, a thought leader I like, David C. Baker from Recourses. And um, I'm reading his book on thought leader expertise. And he said, I don't know what I really think about a subject until I write a book about it. <laughs> so what are some thought leaders books that we can model? So what are the models for thought leader books? Okay. You know, it's funny, I'll, I'll answer that question in a second, but it's funny you mentioned that the, he didn't know what he wanted to write until he started writing. And then that is so true. And I find out with a lot of my clients as well, they start writing and the more they write, the clearer they get. You know, they throw out the first draft, they throw out the first outline, they realize that here's where I'm going because it doesn't come together for some people until they start to sit down and write. One of the people I interviewed on my podcast wrote 17 first drafts or 17 outlines before he finally settled on his topic. Of course, he was in academia and his father was in academia. So for them, this is like the family business. You know, they, 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 didn't, they thought nothing of writing 16 first drafts. I don't know that anyone in this call or that I would want to write 16 first drafts to, to get the book out. But sometimes the first thought is not the first thought. It, uh, it, it evolves, it develops. And the more people you talk to, the clearer you get. And the more experts you talk to, the more insights you get. Because we only know what we know in our own little box. When we talk to other people, we get more information. That's the role of the journalist as well. So you talk about the journalist and the PhD. So definitely, the more you talk to people, the more ideas you get. They will reinforce your ideas if they agree with you. They will uh, disagree on some points. You'll get a new insight and say, I hadn't thought about it that way. What will I do here? And then you have another chapter in your book or you have another story to tell uh, or an objection to overcome, so to speak. So people say, well, I don't know about that. And I do that with, with one of my clients now. He, he has a theory and, about stock market investing. I say, okay, that's a marvelous theory. Can you get someone else to back it up? Can you get some proof here? Can you show some statistics, some tables, some charts, some graphs? So it's not just you, because people will be skeptical. They will say, why should I believe you? Show me some more information. So that's where that goes. Uh, so you asked, uh, what are some books you can model? Well, I love the, the Daniel Pink book because it's new, it's fresh, and it's very readable. Uh, and it's interesting. And I think that's something that books need to be as well, interesting. Uh, I'm writing a book now, ghostwriting a book now with an army general who's in charge of guarding Saddam Hussein. Uh, he's retired now, so uh, you'd expect to hear some really, really interesting stories. But he tells them the way an army general would tell them. Oh, it was 600 hours on 11 uh, November uh, 2014, and uh, we were in Camp Buka here, and we did this, and we did this, and, this, and you know, five minutes later, he says, and there were 35 UN employees trapped on the roof of the building, and we had to get them out. Wait a second, <laughs> 35 employees in war zones that had to get evacuated by a roof from a rooftop? Tell me more about that. Well, yeah. we have to get through all that other stuff. And I remember when I was a student at Northwestern, I took a lot of social psychology courses, which meant I read a lot of psychology monographs and they all started the same way. They talked about, we're going to discuss this theory and see if it really works. And then they have like 15 pages about all the other theories and all the other tests and all the other research that had been done before. They summarized it. Then they talked about their hypothesis and how they were going to prove it. And they talked about their study and their tests and how they set it up the tests and how they designed it and everything. Then they told you about the results. And they said, therefore, we can prove this theory. 
or therefore we cannot prove this theory. And so like, I'm a journalist, but here's the lead. They buried the lead, it's at the end. They made this so uninteresting, not a good thing. So who do you wanna model? Well, there are no better storytellers than say Malcolm Gladwell or the Freakonomics guys or Chip Heath and uh, the Made to Stick guys. They are brilliant, brilliant storytellers. That's what they have in common. Uh, I referred to the, the business fable stories, the who moved my cheese, the one minute manager, the five dysfunctions of a team. So you can write a very, very short book. In fact, Henry, I think one of your public authors just published a business fable book because it was, they felt that was the way to reach, get their message across to their readers more efficiently. And let's face it, people today don't have a lot of time to read books or anything. I mean, a tweet is considered a major expanse of business or, or, or time these days. Uh, so people's attention spans are so short. I used to joke that people want to read a book or they start to read a book by the time, excuse me, they, they want to pick up a book when they got on a plane in New York and finish it by the time they get to LA. And one of the people in my webinars interrupted me and said, no, no, you're wrong. I said, really? He said, yeah, they want to finish it by the time they fly over Chicago. And he said, you know, you're right. So these books are not long anymore. I mean, In Search of Excellence and, um, um, oh, the other one, um, uh, the, I'm drawing a blank. You, everyone knows it, the, uh, the good Give to great. Give me a clue. Good, we'll play charades. Good, good, to great. good to great, good to great. Marvelous good to great. Books. Jim Collins. Long books, long books. Now books are much shorter. Daniel Pink's book's about 200 pages and it reads fast. You can read it in two or three sittings very, very easily. And I think that's what people look for today. So you want to have great storage, you want to have great research that proves your information. You want to tell the stories in an interesting way. And Henry's books, of course, are very good at teaching you how to tell stories in an interesting way. I picked up this other book the other day called uh, The 10 Great Stories Leaders Tell. You can't tell because my green screen. It's The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell by Paul Smith. It's a really wonderful book, very easy to get to. It even has templates on how to tell the business story, the creation story, the vision story, the why you should work here story, um, and offers examples and stories of those ways. And I think that was a, a, a nice a complimentary book to Henry's per se with the story. Of course, your new book, Mark's new book and Henry's new book on um, getting new clients, that's a thought leadership book because that book included numerous research, original research that Henry did to find information and offered great ideas. In fact, Henry sent me a copy of it uh, by a, a PDF version to review. And I liked it so much that after I read the first chapter, I went to Amazon and actually bought the book. So, <laughs> so you're the one who bought the book. <laughs> and I highly recommend it. Yeah, yes. uh, a lot of great information there because it did move the bar. It made the world a better place. It showed new ideas that hadn't been expressed before. So that's what makes a true thought leadership book. My graduate advisor used to say, um, you're, you need to add to the knowledge. Yes. You, need to, you need to add to what we know on the subject. Um, so you just can't regurgitate what other people know. As you were talking, I, I was thinking, this, uh, this is my thesis. Uh, that's a thin book, but... Um, the, the uh, table of contents is like the exact opposite of 
what you should do in a thought leader book, because you should end with the recommend. I mean, you should start with the recommendations and the implications, and then you get into all the details on how you got there. Um, and there needs to be details on how you got there. Um, I think of books like Spin Selling um, and what that added to the knowledge base. Um, I see Write Your Book in a Flash there. I, I reviewed that book. I liked it a lot. I know it sounds like a mutual admiration society, uh, but it had such good information on the different types of books, you know, the thought leader book or this marketing book, but there are other books that you can write. And it really helps to know what kind of book you're writing before you write it. Um, so yeah, I wanted to add that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, one of my clients just published his book and he started out as a writing a true leadership book based on his experiences. And it was gonna be yet another dull, dry, boring book. And I was saying like, okay, well, he's my client and I'll help support him the best I can, but this is gonna be a slog. And he came back the second week and he said, you know, I take these long walks and I have these thoughts that pop into my head and I record them. And they're like, they're like poems, they're like affirmations. And here are some of them. And what do you think about them? And they were wonderful. And I said, these are really different. These are unique. This is not your typical thought leadership book. And he said, do you think I could sell this? Do you think this would work? And I said, I bet that people would hire you to go and speak in front of groups and read your poetry because it was all thought leadership. It was like affirmations, mostly affirmations and thought leadership. So something totally new, something different, something that advanced the profession. And he did, and he had a wonderful time writing it. And I had a wonderful time editing it and helping him along the way. And he's getting bookings now because he is so totally different than everyone else. So uh, there are a lot of different ways to write books, not just thought leadership books, but any kinds of books. There are people who are doing seminars and saying, you know, put a book of your quotations together. Take all the memes that you have from social media and put them into a book. You know, one, one sentence per page, 75 pages, you have a book. You know, I don't know if that will establish you as a thought leader or as a truly credible person, um, but there are people out there who are telling you to do that. And for some people in some markets, that's fine. I remember being in an Alan Weiss conference and Chip Bell was the featured speaker. He speaks on customer service. Funniest speaker I've ever heard. He's really, really fantastic. Great, great speaker. And he gave his book away to everyone beforehand. And the book looked like a children's book. It was very, very small in format, you know, not the new normal five by eight, six by nine format. It was more like four by four. It had large type, it had big pictures, it had very short stories, it had you know, a few words on a page and it really broke the mold. So when he was done with his talk, he asked for questions and I raised my hand timidly, I might add. And I said, you know, uh, thank you very much for giving us your book. Uh, it's very kind of him, said thank you very much. I said, you know, uh, it, it's really very short. Uh, is this the future of publishing? He said, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. It's only 46 pages or 64 pages or whatever. And it has big words and short stories and big pictures. And I did that on purpose because the reader of this book is not some professor at Harvard. It's the frontline personnel at hotels and customer service facing operations. And they wanna know how to handle an irate customer. They wanna know what to say and how to say it. They don't wanna know the entire theory 
of the dyad and the communication systems behind it. They want to know what to say right now to make that upset customer happy. And this book does that. And I thought that was brilliant. He knew his audience. He knew that they were intelligent people who didn't have a lot of time to read books. He knew what would persuade them and get their attention and give them actionable items that they could use in their daily lives to improve their well-being and that of their customers. So that was a home run. You know, who is your audience? What's going to make them most effective? That's your real goal. So let's talk about those people who have the thoughts, they have ideas, they can do the research, but they do not fancy themselves as a writer, or they don't see themselves having the time to write, because you and I have both helped CEOs with their books, and um, these are very time-strapped individuals. So what are the options if you don't consider yourself a writer? Well, that's where you can easily hire a ghostwriter or a book coach or a developmental editor to help you along the way. And, you know, there's this rumor that you have to write your book yourself. You know, there's not the starving artists alone in the room, and they're all in their garret, writing the book, sweating blood. Uh, that, that's a myth. I mean, you don't fix your car yourself. You don't do anything yourself. We rely on other people. And book writing is, should be thought of exactly the same way. In fact, uh, you know, people who work with me say that they would be embarrassed to publish the book that they had thought to write before they worked with me because it just wasn't as complete. There were so many holes in it that uh, things they hadn't thought about, ideas that weren't fully fleshed out, stories that didn't make sense or didn't make the point that they thought it would, or books that were just boring and needed stories and needed some life to come to those books. So when you work with an editor, they can help you see what you don't see. They can make ideas better. They could, you know, one woman I worked with on a self-help book uh, wrote a brilliant story in chapter, but she buried it in chapter three. And I saw it was a great story. And I told her it should be in chapter one and sh she agreed. And it became the title of her book because it was that powerful. Uh, so people can see things that you don't see. Uh, in fact, the story was uh, a little subhead that said, excuse me for being gross. And it read something like this. It said, I have this earthworm emerging from my belly. It's about a quarter inch wide and four inches long. It's my stretch mark. It shows where I gained 180 pounds bearing four children, and I lost all but 20 of those pounds. I'll probably never lose those 20 pounds. But I wear it as a badge of honor because it shows where I bore four children into this world, and they're going to make the world a better place. I thought, wow, that's your signature story. That needs to be way up front because everyone who's reading this book is going to identify with you immediately because they've all been in that exact same position and they all have that extra 20 pounds. So do I. So uh, we're never going to lose it. So it's, it immediately makes her really relatable. And for a self-help book, that's really key. And one of the cool things about this is that she had a real boring idea for a book title that, you know, Amber's Rules for Success or something, you know, horribly boring. And instead, we realized that you know, what better title for a book that talks about going beyond the boundaries, uh, coloring outside the lines, going outside the, 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 the limits, whatever, than stretch marks. Mm. And that became the title of her book. And that became the title of her weekend seminar retreats for women. She doesn't speak. She does weekend retreats. So she does stretch marks retreats for, for women. And, you know, obviously very successful because of that. 
So that's what an editor can bring to you that you may not see yourself. You may not have the confidence to realize that that was a story that you could tell. They get a good editor can get those stories out of you and place them in the proper position. So that's why if you don't feel that you're a writer, you can work with an editor to help you. And for CEOs uh, who don't have the time, my friend David Newman says that CEOs who write books are performing uh, business malpractice because their time is much better spent doing deals and doing what they do than spending you know, the hours that it takes to write a book. So in fact, one of the biggest secrets of NSA, the National Speakers Association, is that a lot of best-selling authors didn't write their books. They had them ghostwritten, and that's fine too. It's their ideas expressed by someone else, and that's fine. You know, uh, A book coach can help you in a way that you just don't see your own mistakes. I mean, I play the guitar. You could not learn how to play the guitar by reading a book. You need a coach, you need a teacher, you need someone to say, you're doing this too fast, you're doing this too slow, uh, you can get to this chord more easily if you move these fingers in this direction and you say, well, I thought I was. He said, no, you weren't. Like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> that's why it wasn't sounding right. And so that's why, and that's how you can make your book better when you work with a coach or a ghostwriter. You also, may, you also play a mean ukulele too. Um, <laughs> so I worked with a CEO last year who was, the CEO of one of the top 10 pharmas and COVID was going on and he wanted to write his thought leadership book. And, and I love that uh, David Newman quote, that'd be malpractice. So what I worked with him on is I would brainstorm the chapter. I'd pull the stories out and I said, now go for a walk with your smartphone record 15 minutes on this subject. Then we transcribed them, we cleaned them up, and it was the talk to text strategy. So that's another way an editor can work with you to pull that out. There are certain fields, I guess ghostwriting is not accepted. I would say uh, for an MD, uh, for a, a PhD scientist uh, presenting research findings um, in this area, but in other areas, um, a lot of CEOs put with and then the name. So Ray Kroc from McDonald's wrote his book with somebody. Um, Bill Gates has the with on the title. Um, I've done that for people where my name is on it because they want to communicate that no, I didn't sit down in the cabin and, and pick out this book instead of uh, working on the Pfizer contract, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so they wanted to communicate that. Um, Actually, Henry, I did write two books with a doctor. And okay. Fables. One was about telemedicine. This was five years ago before telemedicine was a thing. And that was a lot of fun. And he, we wrote the book because he wanted to be brought in as an expert witness on telemedicine malpractice cases. So there, there are cases where uh, a ghostwriter can come in and give thoughts to your ideas that you would not normally be able to do. And I've written books for doctors and I make it very clear that they have to be very involved you know, I have to interview them. They have to be their thoughts. They have to go through the editing and make sure these are their thoughts. I've just said, think of me as your tool, just like a recorder 
or a word processor. I'm just a tool to get your thoughts onto the page as opposed to uh, the person who said, I'll come back in a month with a great book for you. So there are ghostwriters like that. Uh, I don't think Dan and I recommend that for you. No, I think it's really, you raise a really important point that it's very important that the author knows what the ghostwriting process entails, what it does and what it doesn't do. It's like, you know, in the case of the army general, he's telling these stories, I'm whipping them into shape and making them more interesting. I'm sending them back to him and he's going back and adding more detail, making sure the names, the dates, whatever are, are accurate. You might recall more of the conversations and add that into the, uh, the mix. I might ask him some questions like, you know, how did you feel about this at the time or put more emotion into uh, the stories as well that might've been missing when he originally told the story. So again, it's the journalist interviewing, but it's a very good working relationship because he's very comfortable going back in and filling in the blanks and adding more information. Uh, that works great. If someone thinks that you're a, a glorified typist or, or a Rasputin, you can just magically create these stories out of thin air, um, that, that's a problem. that can be a problem. And I think that any working relationship, you need to establish the boundaries and both sides need to know what is expected of each other, uh, because if it isn't, then it's bound for disaster. So best to establish boundaries, principles, working patterns, and everyone knows what's going to happen at the very outset. So there are no surprises. Speaking of our friend, David Newman, when Mark and I started this business eight years ago, and David and I have a mastermind uh, relationship. So we were in that and um, he said, so, so you're going to be a ghostwriter. And I said, you know, I'm not. I'm going to be a book producer. He said, what's a book producer? And I said, it's like a movie producer, but you pull things together, you, you get the money right, you do all these things so that the, you know, in a movie, it's so that the best movie can appear on the screen. And here it's the best ideas can appear in print. And I think you're a book producer too. It, it goes beyond that. So as, as impresarios, uh, you know, like, like we're, we've uh, brought Pavlova along to the, uh, to the Paris stage from uh, the, the, the ballet in Russia. So we're impresarios of these books, these thought leader books. You also have said that you can use a thought leader book to get more clients. Could you expand on that, please? Sure. You know, a lot of people adopt the hope strategy. And the hope strategy goes something like this. I'll write my book and I'll put it up on Amazon. And I hope that people will find the book. I hope I have some keywords in my press releases and I hope they find the book. Uh, my book will be in Amazon, it's a Barnes and Noble. And I hope that people will find my book out of the 17,000 books that are in Barnes and Noble, all with the little spine facing out. I hope that people pick up that book. I hope that people read the back cover of the book. I hope that people are enticed by the marvelous copy of that back cover copy and they, they love my picture on the front copy. So they actually uh, buy the book. I hope they read the book. I hope they read the book and then realize that I can help them solve their problems. That's a lot of hoping folks, a lot of steps involved. What really works is that you read the Wall Street Journal or your trade publication and you find an article that quotes someone who has a problem that your book solves. 
And then you send the book to that person and say, hey, I was reading in, uh, in the journal that you're having problems with employee engagement. Well, chapter four in my book talks about how to have more, more engaged employees and how to have a better corporate workplace culture. Why don't you take a look at it? I'll call you next Wednesday and maybe we can talk and see how I can help your company improve their employee engagement as I've done with X other companies. And this way you get the appointment, people see you as the expert and they see that you can solve a problem that they have. That's how you can turn your book into you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of consulting business without hoping but being direct. So it could be the Wall Street Journal, it could be Forbes, it could be Fortune, it could be your, your trade publications. Um, there are always companies that have problems and your books will solve that problem. And there's only one reason why people will ever read a book and that is to solve their problems. I want to testify, one of our authors, Lisa Apolinsky, who is an expert in digital marketing, she would call, just pick up the phone and call. I guess you don't pick up the phone now, you, you know, it's in your palm, but she would call Fortune 500 companies who she would see them making mistakes in their digital marketing and say, well, I want to send you my book and if you want some ideas on this and she picked up big clients as a result of that. And I like your generosity strategy. You're, you're not saying, oh, maybe if you talk to me, I'll give you some ideas. You sent the book first and then said, if you want, if you're open to a conversation about ideas and you'd be surprised how many people will appreciate that, especially the, the personal touch uh, by sending it that. So that's a, a great strategy. Um, I want to tell everybody on the call and are watching this that um, Dan is a, a, a great collaborator with us on publicity for books. And uh, Dan and I regularly strategize on what type of news release should go out and what kind of tips it should offer and um, what kind of expert you should be billed as and all these things. So you've contributed greatly, Dan. We, we appreciate that. And, we look forward to many years together. Um, a, a thought on that is um, I wanted to make an offer that um, if you want to write a book, I would be happy to have a strategy call with you. If you would want to talk to Dan, Dan would be happy to have a strategy call with you. Um, we don't do sales calls we help people, we help them get clarity around their goals and what assets, what hidden assets they have to bring. And I mean, intellectual property, hidden assets and how to get past roadblocks, how others have done that. And, and we're more than happy to share that. If you're an author who's already come out with a book, um, I know on our side, uh, we'll do a promo chat with you on what are the best ways to promote books because our philosophy is books don't promote authors, authors promote books. And then when you shine a spotlight on the book, you get some reflection on you and that helps. Um, Dan has other services and offers to get publicity out there. Uh, publicity can be the gift that keeps on giving for you because in the old days, yesterday's newspaper was thrown away, today's radio, broadcast vanished, uh, but now it's online. And all of these things have a life. 
have a have a what is it called a half life you know so they go on for a long time so just wanted to encourage you um dan was there any special offer you wanted to make uh i'd love to chat with people so if you could put the uh link in the chat that would be great or go to my website write your book at a flash.com you can book a 15-minute call with me again it's a strategy session it's a it's a good way to get to know each other and see if it's a good fit and i'd be delighted to talk with anyone on the call yeah uh, we dan and indie books we have an abundance mentality um there's more people out in that world who need our help than we can ever serve so um and if we can't help you uh, we'll send you to people who we think can help you so there's a lot of cooperation that goes on in this community and dan you you have a mastermind uh, that you've started and have been very gracious to invite me. I, I've, you've written about me in magazines and I've written about you in magazines. Um, it's just, we just think there's a bigger pie to create here and we'd love to help you any way we can. Well, Dan, I wanted to thank you. Is there any closing bit of wisdom you wanted to leave the audience with? Oh, uh, wow. That's a lot of pressure, by the way. The inspirational quote time. Uh, now, if you have 15 minutes a day, you can write a book because if you write 15 minutes a day, you can write a thousand words uh, or 250 words. Four days, you've written a thousand words. In, in 16 weeks, you've written your book. It's as simple as that. If you, if you have 15 minutes a day, you can write a book. Slow and steady wins the race. Any book worth writing is worth writing a first draft that sucks. <laughs> we call it the sloppy first copy. And the magic is in the rewrite and polish. So I encourage everybody to take Dan's advice on that. Thank you, Dan. Uh, good seeing you. I look forward to seeing you in person again. You're one of the few people who I got to see during the uh, lockdown. Um, but, but we ate outside and we wore masks on the way in and out. So, uh, and yeah, I have, uh, I have two tickets in, on the aisle for you. Uh, coming up when you when you get back to town and, and your beloved Twinkies are in town. Cool. Looking forward to it. Can't wait Thanks. to see Otani again. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. So uh, that's it for this week's Marketing with a Book podcast. We look forward to seeing you again to find more ways to shine a spotlight on your book.